Okay, cook. Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me, looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favorite. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB precision, television, ain't asked for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's affected yeah. my promise. Sit this back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. My homeboy K Cook, right face first intro. Um, this week is special. This week is uh, this week is very important to me. Has been for the last twelve years now. Um, this week is uh, the anniversary, the twelfth anniversary actually of Sean Taylor's death. And for you, for those of you who don't know, he's one of my closest friends. Um. He's a guy I played with for two years in Washington. And more than anything, I think he was the greatest athlete I've ever seen play the position, uh, but also the most misunderstood person I'd ever been around. And it was one of those things where you wanted to protect his memory. You wanted people to know just who he was. You wanted them to understand that he was something different and everybody made him. I mean, April Fool's Day, right, is when Sean was born. April 1st, 1983, he was born. And, like, when, when you're born on, on, on that day, you got to be special. Like, they can't, you can't just be born on April Fool's Day because you imagine all the jokes you get, all the things that happen to you. But what, what Pedro and, and, and Donna gave birth to was just different. I mean, Sean T was... So unique, so tall, so rangy, so long, so athletic. And those were all the things everybody loved about him. You know, that he you go to Gulliver Prep and you play running back and linebacker and safety. And you pick your position at UM when UM was like that. And you play... One year, you got four picks. Your junior year, you got 10. And I remember the story he told me because that's when I noticed him. They're playing Florida State. I'm like, who is this long dude with, with no gloves on? He had like three picks, scores the touchdown. And so in my mind, I'm watching this kid, and I'm in the league at this time, and I'm saying, well, I won't be playing long if they're going to start looking like that. If they're going to start moving around like that, hitting folks like that, flipping people, scoring touchdowns, well, I'm done. And then so I'm watching him, and I remember I think back to the national championship. He gets an interception. He's running down the sideline. Maurice Claret takes the ball from him, and he hops up. And I just remember being beaten college at anything. If a person caught a pass, if I didn't catch a pick, I remember how dejected I would be. Just remember thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to go to the league. I'm not going to be all SEC. And he just hopped up, and he was fine, and he was ready to go. He was legit the most confident person I'd ever been around from an athletic standpoint. And then when I saw him off the field, he was lost. He had no peace. He was a child. He was a kid. But everybody confused that because they watched him play football. I remember the first time my wife met him, 
It was my first year in Washington. I was an undrafted guy. And the only reason I was there is because Joe Gibbs, for some reason, was stuck in 1980 and had a mini camp before a training camp. I was working at the Tiger Athletic Foundation. And I remember I had just got married. And I, I said a prayer. I was like, you know what, God? It would be super cool if you give me an opportunity to play football again. Because I was telling everybody I was okay. But I wasn't really okay. I was like, shoot, I want to play football. So I get a tryout. I don't even make it. Somebody else makes it. He fails the physical. Now, you got to realize, I've been in the Tiger Athletic Foundation for the last week or so, two weeks. So I would try to work out after. I'm not doing that. They're taking us to good lunches because I'm just smoozing people. So I ain't really working out. First thing we do at practice is 40 up-downs. We condition, and then we go through individuals. The first person to talk to me from the Washington Redskins was Sean Taylor. And at this time, he's a young kid. He's not practicing. I'm older than him. He walks over to me, and he says, little man, you got to get up. So now I'm, like, kind of, like, offended at one point, and also I'm feeling good because it's like, man, like, you're just all-American. You should have won the Thorpe. He told me he knew he wasn't going to win the Thorpe, even though he should have. He had, like, three touchdowns, ten picks. They gave it to Derek Strait. He said when they walked in and told me, Hey, Sean Taylor, it's nice to meet you. And then they said, hey, D-Straight, good to have you here. He said, I knew D-Straight was going to win it. I said, well, I'll tell you what, man. He wasn't nearly as good as you anyway. But so when he comes over to me and he tells me this, I'm, one, astounded that he even cares. Because I only I got there the night before practice. Two, I thought about to myself, what type of dude must he be to walk over to me to tell me I got to get it going? I meant nothing to him. He knew nothing about me. We had never had a conversation. But that meant something to me because of how I saw him as an athlete. I didn't know him as a person yet. But because of how I saw him at a, as an athlete, that meant something to me. And then so now you fast forward it to us playing together. And we grew up together. Right. I'm this guy who nobody believed in an undrafted free agent who's starting at strong safety, by the way. And I was 185 pounds. That's the first thing. He definitely should have been strong safety. And we're playing together. And so he gave me this nickname. He's like, hey, man, you like it. You're a little killer. So he gives me this nickname. And like that made me feel good. I was like, shoot, as, as reckless as you play, if you think I'm more reckless than you, I'm really doing well. And so we become friends, and he becomes Uncle Sean to the kids, to Jaden, and to Jordan. And, and Logan doesn't really remember him as well, but to Jordan, like, there was nobody bigger than Uncle Sean. And so then we get to playing, and you get in the camp, and it's the Hall of Fame game. The first thing that happens, as soon as he touched the field, he gets a pick, he scores. And then he gets another one. And I remember LeVar Arrington running down the sideline screaming, We got one! We got one! And that was because we knew he was different. We kept track of turnovers and interceptions and different things during training camp. And as a total, like as a total defensive unit, we had 20-something. Sean had 18. He was that different. But away from it, man, it was amazing. My wife meets him and he walks up to the car and, he, and when he smiled, his eyes got really tight. So he looked like he was like 12 years old, but he was a mammoth of a man. And he walks up to the car and he sees my wife and he goes, how you doing, Miss Clark? Nice to meet you. And then he walks to his car. And so then my wife, she runs over 
when she drives up, I run over to the car, I say, hey, babe. And she was like, well, who was that? I said, oh, that was Sean. And she's like, the crazy one? I said, yes. She was like, he was so sweet. And so then, you know, I would cut his hair or line him up during the season or he'd come over to eat. And we just spent all this time together because we were these two very different dudes on the same journey from totally different places and totally different places in life. And then there were troubles with the law. He gets an ATV stolen and he, he, then there was trouble with the NFL. He walks out of the rookie symposium. And so they built this narrative that he was a bad dude, but he wasn't. He was my friend and he was loyal and he was honest and he cared. And if he rocked with you, it didn't matter who else did because you knew you had him. And so then we get to 2006 and he goes to the Pro Bowl. And I remember sitting at my house and thinking to myself, I was like, somebody has to tell Sean that they don't play hard in the Pro Bowl. And so Antonio Pierce is out there, and I'm on the phone with them. I'm on the phone with Sean, and we're kind of talking about it. And so we watch the game, and a punter from the AFC gets smashed, gets his head taken off. And without even looking up and having to know who it was, I knew exactly who it was. I knew it was Sean, and I knew they didn't tell him he wasn't supposed to do that. Because if you don't tell him he wasn't supposed to do that, he only knew one way how to play the game. And that's what was beautiful about him. And so we're getting into his best year of his career. I remember the conversation we had in the preseason of 2007. I had been let go. So they let me go to uh, Pittsburgh. They had Adam Archuleta. They weren't getting along. And so, so many people attributed what was going on with Sean the year before to me not being there. And it bothered him. And so when they asked him a question, his answer wasn't, necessarily wrong or mean it wasn't as glowingly as people expected it to be about me because he was tired of hearing that and he apologized to me and I was like Sean you ain't never got to tell me you sorry I get it and I was like and I know what we have we talk and so then he goes on to tell me about how he's changed his life spiritually he goes on to tell me about baby Jackie and Jackie his fiance and he tells me about all of these things that have changed in his life tells me about running to work every day to stay in shape and changing the way he was eating. He tells me about his growth as a man, which is what I cared about the most. And I left that conversation as happy, as full of joy, and as peaceful as, as I've ever been for a friend because my thought was he can finally have peace. And then during that year, I go into the hospital, I have my issues in Denver and my spleen and my gallbladder and, 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 and we talk and he's doing well. And I'm like, man, I'm so happy for how the year is going. And he's like, I'm just calling to check on you. And so then I get out of the hospital and, and I'm back at home and I'm recovering and I get a call that he's been shot. And then later on, I'd get an, another call to tell me what happens. And in those times, you don't think about how good of a player he was. Somebody lost a son. Somebody lost a, a father. Somebody lost a fiance. I lost a friend. And so I remember that time just being around him and, and Clinton Portis and 
all the guys from Miami. There was another guy who was really huge in Sean's life, and that's Santana Moss. And I'm going to bring him in so we can talk about our friend, our teammate, Sean Taylor. Uh, it is my honor uh, and privilege to get have one of my former teammates on, uh, one of the best wide receivers I've ever played with, uh, a UM alum. That's always important to these guys. Uh, played in the league with the Jets, played with the Redskins, was a big-time Pro Bowl receiver. Uh, now has moved into the media business as, like I have, uh, is doing a great job. Uh, I want to bring you guys Santana Moss. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity just to talk about our friend, our teammate. Santa man, what's happening, bro? What's good, Ryan, man? I appreciate you. Oh, man, it's just good to have you on, man. You know, I know you left Miami before Sean, but what are kind of some of your first memories of seeing him, hearing about him when he got to the University of Miami? Oh, man, I, you know, I tell folks all the time, my brother was the first person that told me about him. My brother was at the U with him. And I remember coming home one off season, and and that's what you know, the, uh, typically what most of the guys who are from that area do. We come back back in the off season, and we come work out there on campus. And I remember going out of the back door of the locker room and bumping into this big dude, and I'm I have to, you know, I just happened to look up, and it's S dot, and I'm like, man, you know, and I didn't know at the time it was him, but I'm like, it's a huge kid, and then I found <laughs> out later it was it was Sean Taylor. And I'm like, that's a big old safety, man. Like, right. You know, like, you know, what are they doing down here nowadays, you know, with these kids? How they come out of high school so big? But that was my first initial moment of, you know, bumping into them and kind of getting a chance to meet them. And soft-spoken guy at the time when I met him, he said, I said, excuse me. He said, excuse me. We both giggled. And I guess he knew who I was. So he's like, what's up? And we kind of, you know, I didn't really know. And I walked off and I just remember, you know, uh, telling my brother about it. And my brother told me, yeah, that's Sean Taylor. and Years, years removed from that moment, just even that same year, watching him play and just and just just seeing, you know, um, you know the kind of uh, person he was off the field and on the field, and then getting a chance to um, meet him as a player, man. I mean, he was incredible. Nah, he really was. I just remember us being in Washington, man, and getting an opportunity to watch him grow. I remember yeah. speaking with him right before the 2007 season and talking about Jackie, baby Jackie, kind of some of the things he had changed in his life. Tell me a little bit about being there and seeing Sean grow from where he was his rookie year to where he was in 2007, which was really his best year as a person and his best year as a player right before we lost him. Yeah, you know, when I came in in 05, he had already had a year on his belt, you know, in 04. His rookie mm. season was under his belt. And... I remember 05, Gray Williams getting on me when Sean was in the round, like, you Miami guys, and, you know, where's your boy? And I'm right, laughing because right. Gray Williams was one of those kind of fiery coaches. But, but at the same time, he knew who his, his, his dogs was. He mm -hmm. knew who the guys he can always depend on. And he told me to himself, he's like, hey, bro, you know, if I can pick all Miami guys, I would do that because I know what you guys are going to bring to the table. Um but Sean, you know, even in 05, he had started making those changes. And Portis was sharing with me some of the things that had transpired before I got there. Mm -hmm. And even when I got there with some of the things that he had went through off the field, that, you know, it was making him change and, you know, uh, watch the folks around him. You know what I mean? Pay yeah. attention to his friends and to the people who wanted to really, you know, 
you know, chime in on who they thought he was, he was already aware that he couldn't trust everybody. And I think he really started being different because of how the media, you know, uh, uh, perceived him to be and some of the things he went through that really wasn't his fault. Right. But just sitting there watching him, I got a chance to really experience a little hands-on because, one, when I first got in there, we sat next to each other in the big team meeting room. Two, on the plane, we sat in the same row. You know, back in those days, we'd have the window seat, you know, it'd be someone. I had the window seat, and he had the aisle seat of the same row, and we had no one in the middle. So it was always our row. And those moments there alone, you know, are second to none because you get a chance to really talk to a guy on those flights, going to the game, coming back, and then in that big team meeting room before the coaches get to address the team, you're sitting next to that guy. And then as well as all that, our lockers was right next to each other. So I was getting a little hands-on experience of yeah. knowing a, knowing someone that, you know, uh, who's a, who shared the same blood with me as a Hurricane and as a Redskin, just getting getting familiar with this guy who everybody loves when it talk, you know, comes to his game, talking about his game, and Sean Taylor. So I remember those moments, you know, vividly because 07, what you just spoke on, um, just like you spoke on that change, I saw the change. Yeah. I saw it instantly, and it was all with his, how he ate. I mm-hmm. mean, his whole body was different. Yep. And sitting there talking about some of those things, and he was like, yeah, Ted, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm like, yeah, I can see it. Right. I mean, I was just I was just amazed with his whole health part of it. I'm like, Sean, man, you're getting back to what you was in college. Mm-hmm. You're going to tear this league up. And he was just sharing little different little, you know, insights with me on what he was doing and how he was trying to go about his business. And I knew right then and there, man, he was on a whole different level and his game was going to, you know, you know, go along this ride with him. And to see it being taken away prematurely, you know, because of, you know, what happened and even leading up to what had happened to him that caused his life, that injury before all that, me and Sean was on the training table together because I was dealing with an injury that year. And, he had already did so much before the fifth game of the season. He was already, you know, top in, you know, every category as a safety and yep. leading those those Pro Bowl ballots. So he took a a, a a big jump into becoming one of the best, and it got cut short because, you know, he his life was later, you know, taken yep. from him. Tana, can, can you talk through where you were when you heard about Sean being shot, and where you were when you finally heard that he passed, and some of those feelings, and some of the things you would want people to know about him now, because we we see all these young kids that want to wear 21, that want to wear 36, because of the player he was, and they understand the history, but they didn't live it like you, they didn't live it like me, they didn't, you know, so they don't really feel what it was to go through that but also they hear people talk about who Sean Taylor was. They don't know mm-hmm. some of the yeah. negativity. Can you talk us through what you were dealing with when hearing about Sean and also leave us with something that you want people to know about him in the way that they view and perceive who he was as a man? You know, honestly, man, all I can remember, man, uh, me and Porter share this with each other all the time when we talk about it, but, that weekend, it was Thanksgiving weekend, and I tell folks this story all the time. My grandmother always told us, before people leave you, it's a, it's something about them that you can see a change. You can see a different it's – like, it's like they're almost glowing that day mm-hmm. or whenever, that week. And Thanksgiving, 
I kind of felt odd or weary about what was going on, what I saw in Sean, because I I spoke to him about it. I say, man, you have a, a new attitude about yourself. He had already shared with me that week what had happened at his house, you right. know, with, with with a little minor break-in and yep. all that. And Sean, we was laughing about it on the table, and he was like, man, they lucky I wasn't there. And I'm like, Sean, what you was going to do, man? Like, you know, I say, you know, you, you, you can't have a weapon. Right. So, what you was going to do? He's like, man, they just lucky I ain't there. And we joked about it, and he was like, man, I got to get home and make sure everything's straight. I'm like, Sean, you know, let that be. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I know the guy and Sean that he wasn't going to let that slide like that, and he wanted to make sure his house was intact. So, right. you know, we had already went down that line with that. But the day of Thanksgiving, I remember Sean going down the line and telling every head coach and every coach, period, uh, my bad, every head coach and, and head uh, 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 officer coordinator okay. here, Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, all the assistants, uh, happy Thanksgiving. And I'm saying to myself, son, I walked in the big team reading room, happy you know, happy Thanksgiving to everybody and let that be. You know, everybody said it back. But he went specifically by position to everyone and spoke to them man to man. And I'm just watching him do it. And when he sat down, I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, nothing, man. I'm just, you know, I'm thankful. And I'm just, you know, I mean, he, he asked. I wanted to let people know. Yeah, he had a good, such a good spirit about him. And. I kind of shook my head and scratched it at the same time, like, man, something ain't right, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was that moment there that, that I looked at him and I was like, man, he's he's in a different light right now. I don't know right. what's going on. But at the time, I didn't know because, you know, I told you, my grandma had talked to me about this numerous times when I was young about her saying her experiences when people was getting ready to go, you know, how they, you know, how things was changing in front of her eyes and, and what to look, you know, look for. Mm-hmm. But later that day, after we practiced and me and Porters and him said, shared a couple of words, Sean, we left Sean in the locker room, me and Porters going up to uh, catch the team bus because we was, we was leaving that day to go down to, um, I believe, to Tampa. And Sean, um, he jokingly told us to go out and have a good game. And, you know, Porters, go out there and rush for 200, tell him, go get 100 or such and such, and I'll see you guys when I get back. And, I mean, when you guys get back. And I remember – Coming back after the game, I think we lost to Tampa that week. Coming back that Sunday, and I was sitting in the house doing something. I know I was still dealing with my injury, so I was probably getting ready to get worked on. And I heard then that Sean had been shot, you know, and we mm-hmm. sitting around, everybody in a panic, and I'm sitting there, and I talked to Porter. He told me he was going down there. Him and He was with Dan already, and they was going to Miami. You know, I had the kids and the family up, so I couldn't make right. those moves. So I'm just sitting there like, man, I'm by my phone. Let me know if everything's good. And the signs was kind of good. Everybody was like, well, you know, everything is okay. You know, he was hitting the area that, you know, it's not good, but things seems to calm down and, and, and he might be okay. So I went to sleep. I remember going to sleep, not even sleeping hard that night because I was slept by my phone trying to make sure I got a call from Portis to see what was new. And Portis gave me a call right before I went to bed that everything was okay. You know, he seems to be okay. Uh, so I went to sleep. I was able to go to sleep. That next morning, uh, I remember going over to Mel. You know, me and you both used the mm-hmm. same guy when you was playing yep. that worked around body. I remember going over to his house, and I'm still, like, messed up in the head about what went on, but I'm kind of in good spirits just knowing that they said last night he was okay. And I remember getting on Mel's table, and I got the call, man, and they said he he passed. And I'm like, and I just, man, I cried. I, mm-hmm. I boo And I'm sitting there on the table, and, 
and I, you know, I know me because I'm my my vocabulary been short, and I don't think it's <laughs> it's, it's grown. It has right. grown from from then to now. But man, I just used a, a bunch of uh, you know words that I probably can't share now. But I was pissed, man, and I just didn't know what to take from it. And I'm like, how, why, and and oh man, it, it just it it took me for it, it it took all of us by surprise, but. You know, just thinking back on that moment, man, that year alone was a big, you know, uh, I changed a lot in that year myself because just when I was getting to know Sean, you know, and see the growth in him as a, he was taken away from us. And to see how that can happen all in a matter of a weekend, it let, it, it made me appreciate where I was at in my life and what I was doing yeah. a little differently, you know, and, 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 and have more respect for uh, what I had going on. And so uh, I learned a valuable lesson, man. Don't take life for granted. But I also learned that you can't take the people in your life for granted because, you know, just when you, you, you have a chance to really get to know them and talk to you on what they're trying to give you. Because I learned a lot from Sean through those three years you know, but it was taken from me so quickly. Then I sit here and I think back now, damn, I don't have that guy next to me in the locker room no more to share those stories. Damn, I don't have that guy to sit next to on the plane no more to share those stories. He brought me back from just losing it when I was feeling, and you know, down in dumps about what I, you know, when I then displayed throughout the week yeah. or that night, you know what I mean, leaving from a game. So um, he basically just taught me it's that whole experience of, you know, us losing him taught me to appreciate a lot of the things that I was going through in life a little differently. And one of the things I want to leave you with that um, that I hated just hearing about the guy is that what he went through is what happens to guys of yes, his nature. Absolutely. You know, that wasn't that, his nature. They don't that don't sit well with me because first of all, anybody in this business that we are trying to uh, you know call our second gig should know that in order for you to be able to speak on anything, you have to do your research. Yes. You have to know who you're talking about and what you're talking about. And when Sean left, everyone had this bad notion about this guy because the way he played the game between the lines that he was a, a criminal, he was a bad person. He wasn't. Nope. He was a guy that just knew one way to go, and he went hard. And he came physical, and he knew how life was for him, how his dad, Pete, put him through certain situations. To always be prepared for what may be the outcome or what may come of that situation. And that's what he did. And at the time in 07 that he was taken from us, he was trying to be the best man he could be for his daughter and for his game so he can see himself move forward into yeah. where he was going at and to be one of the best as a dad and as a football player, as a safety in the NFL. So, um, that's one of the things I want people to know, because I'm pretty sure now from all these years removed, they've heard my my story and my take on some of the things I heard about him, and they got a different, you know, spin on what people viewed him as. But that's the one thing I would want people to know, man, that he was a good dude. Uh, like anybody else, some of the things he went through, he was learning. You know, yeah. you have to, you know, my grandma just also tell me you have to live, live to learn. And, uh, you, to, you know, and that's one of the things he was doing you know, living and learning at the same time. But once he learned what was uh, his task and to be a father to his daughter and be the best man he can be and be the best professional he can be, he's on that track to do that well. And, 
you know, I hate to sit here and talk about it again, but uh, him taking from us just, you know, stop, you know, all that that he had planned for himself. Man, hey, man, I just appreciate you so much. This was important for me to do. I started this podcast for opportunities like this to talk about people that we love. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Um, I appreciate you. I love you, bro. Uh, you have a good one, big dog. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the yep. opportunity. I just really appreciate Santana coming on. He got an opportunity to know Sean in a way that I don't believe many people did, many teammates did, but it was, I got to. And I love Sean. And I don't say that past tense because that's not over for me. Because he's not here, I didn't stop loving him. Sean had a life to me that didn't have peace. And that's why when I talked to him before the season in 07 in our last face-to-face meeting, I was so excited to see he was learning how to have peace. Because when you looked at his life and you heard people talk about him and you watched the things that he went through, you said to yourself, how could this guy be happy? But then he had a smile that made you feel like everything was going well. When he smiled, it was the, the, the smile of a child. And I remember somebody asked him about playing ball and he said, I get to play a child's game for a king's ransom. And that's how he played it. He was the fiercest competitor I've ever been around but he was also one of the sweetest humans I've ever known. And everyone talks about how great of a football player he was, but he was a better friend. He was the guy who you never had to be scared that if it was you and him by yourself and the world was against you, that he'd turn on you. And when people talked about him after he passed, they almost spoke about him as, This was the natural progression of somebody who lived like him. But that was wrong. Because they just watched him play. And they just knew that he didn't take crap. And shouldn't that be all of us? Now, all of us aren't 6'3". All of us aren't 220. All of us don't run 4'4". He was different and he was unique in that way. But he was also unique in the way that he saw himself and how he wanted himself to be different. He was a man who had the talent of people that you only pray to be, that you only wish to be, that you only read about. And he took time to walk over to a 185-pound undrafted free agent who got picked up the day before, who literally thought he was dying. He took time to walk over and talk to him. He took time to encourage him. He gave him a nickname that halfway through the season when he became a starter made him feel like he was just as good as everybody out there. He took that time. And so when I get the call on the morning and I'm sitting on the stairs and I'm crying and Jordan asked, Dad, what happened to Uncle Sean? And you got to explain it. You got to explain it to him knowing he's going to hear things about him that aren't true. He's going to hear things about this man that I love, that he loved, that weren't true. And then you go to his funeral and you hear people talk about him and they still don't capture the essence of who he was. He was a son. He was a father. He was a fiance. 
He was a friend. And I look back on it, and Sean did not deserve to go out that way. Sean deserved to finish his career. He deserved to show us what he was going to be because he wasn't even there yet. As great as he is and as great as we remember him, he was not there as a player yet. He was going to be the greatest to ever do it. But that's not even the sad part. The sad part is he was going to be one of the greatest men to live. He was going to be a great husband. He was already a great father, a great friend. And that's what got taken away. Sean didn't deserve to not get to live his truth. He didn't deserve for it to be cut so short that he couldn't be remembered by everybody the way that I remember him. There's so much about this that is undeserved. But what I also know is this world, the people who said these things about him when he passed, the pressure that he was always put under because he was perceived a certain way and no matter what, they weren't going to let that perception die. That world didn't deserve him. And so where I miss him and everybody that loves him misses him, the people who talk about him from the outside just totally missed it. They missed who this man was. They missed who this man was becoming. Sean Taylor, no doubt, is one of the most unique people to have ever played this game. But more importantly, he's one of the most unique and loving and kind and misunderstood gentlemen to have ever put on a jersey. So if you get a chance to watch those highlights, if you get a chance to listen to him, if you get a chance to hear people talk about him, do all those things with the perspective of that you do not know how great of a man he was. And that's why when he passed, I wanted to be number 21. I wore 21 under my jerseys. I wore 21s on my towels because I thought that he deserved to still be out there longer than I ever did. So when you say you love Sean Taylor, don't just love the film. Don't just love the interceptions. Don't just love the hits. Find love for the man because for those of us who knew him, we understood that that was the greatest thing about him. This is the Sean Taylor special, Face First, DB Precision, Ryan Clark. Thanks for tuning in. Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, it never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB precision, television, ain't ask for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's affected by promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh.